The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, friend. You can support this podcast by subscribing on your preferred platform. You can rate and review and leave a five-star rating on Apple iTunes. You can also share episodes on your Instagram or Facebook handles and tag Infertility and Me Podcast. And you can also follow Infertility and Me Podcast on Instagram at Infertility and Me Podcast. Thank you, friend. Peace and blessings. Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Thank you so much for tuning in to Infertility and Me Podcast, friends. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here with me. Let me be a part of your day. And also just rocking with your girl week after week, episode after episode, sometimes two episodes in one week. So thank you guys for your listenership and for just coming back. And I really, truly do appreciate you all. And I hope that you will uh, connect with me on the various platforms that I'm available on. And today's guest is with Shara Hutchinson. Shara has a master's degree in business and ministry from Ohio Christian University. Shara is employed as a director at a software company and serves as a secretary on the Juvenile Justice Coalition Board. As an advocate, former youth, youth minister, and adoptee, Shara is a protective voice for Ohio youth who are at risk or currently involved in juvenile court systems. After enduring a tumultuous journey to pregnancy, Shara published her book in 2018 entitled, I Still Want to Be a Mom. She shares the hidden details of her eight-year journey from infertility to motherhood with the hope of inspiring women with similar struggles. Shara is a TEDx speaker and the founder of the I Still Want to Be a Mom Foundation, established to strengthen, support, and encourage women diagnosed with infertility. And you can find Shara's TEDx talk on her website at I still want to be a mom.club. And I will have it in the show notes today so that you may tap and go and get more information on how you can connect with Shara and also purchase her book. So Shara will be right back with us guys in just one minute. Peace and blessings. Alrighty, so we're back with Ms. Shara Hutchinson. Thank you, Shara, so much for coming on the pod and talking to us today. You guys, um, like I said in the bio, you may already know her as uh, I Still Want to Be a Mom, author and creator and TEDx speaker. And so, Shara, uh, just thank you for so much for taking time out of your day. I know you're super, super busy with the little one and work and everything. Yeah, th- thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you, uh, you know, even inviting me to be on your podcast. I feel like now... We're friends. I, I yep. follow you, <laughs> follow you and your uh, your personality on Instagram. And uh, I love the way you personify what, you know, what it's like to deal with infertility in a lighthearted way. Um, and so, I again, I, I appreciate you having me on here. 
Thank you, Shar. I appreciate your, your positivity and feedback. Um, you know, sometimes we doubt ourselves when we put ourselves out there in that way, but it's always good to, to hear that we're, that we're doing something at least halfway right. So I appreciate you. And, and so, Shar, how did you and your husband meet? Did you guys meet in like college or did you meet after college or church or something like that? Well, we, we, we actually met in college. We went, met and, and school is so funny. Our story is very uh, interesting because um, we, we met, we were in the same program for our associate's degree. Okay. And while we were in some of the same classes, he would periodically say like, hey, do you want to meet, <laughs> meet like after class, or before <laughs> class to study and go over the material? And some of the classes were like super easy. I'm like, he, he doesn't need my help, <laughs> you know? And so, but when we would meet for those classes, he would actually just kind of share a little bit about his goals, where he was headed and, you know, the things that he was working on and things like that and as we would meet you know prior to classes I started to like him and I'm like man mm. I, I like that he has a good head on his shoulders he knows where he's headed he has goals for the future and that went on for like maybe a couple years mm. and and he never even once initiated like a conversation with me to try to date me wow and I was like wait up so so here's what I would do I would <laughs> come to class trying to you know have my little makeup on put my little perfume on try to be cute try to sit by him and uh -huh. he still never acknowledged me and I'm like okay does this dude like me why is he asking me to meet him before class and he's not even talking about he's not even talking about school stuff and so I was so 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 confused um so at any rate um he actually graduated with his associates six months prior to um, when, when I graduated. So gotcha. that was, he graduated June, 2009 with his um, associate's degree. And so then there was a span of a few months where I didn't see him at all. Right. So he graduated in June, 2009. I graduated in October, 2009 with my associates. Okay. And okay. I had decided to like, you know what, I'm going to go right for my bachelor's degree. Um, mm -hmm. So graduated to uh, October, 2009 with associates immediately started the bachelor program. Now, mind you, he had graduated in June prior to that. Okay. And I hadn't really seen him, even though we had coordinated beforehand just to just to work on um, some projects before class or just really to just talk before class. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so when I started on my bachelor's degree in October, guess who was in one of my first classes? He was, and I hadn't seen him since. Like oh, spring oh, almost, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so... I said to myself, look, I am not about to let him go. Since he hasn't said that to me, I got to find a way to get to get in his mind. So I need to know if he likes me or not or what's going on. Yeah. I am That's such cool. a cornball. I am like, I don't I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm just like straight to the point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was waiting for my opportunity. And lo and behold, somebody, the, 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 a divine event happened, right? Like somebody broke into my car oh. and um, they broke into my car, busted my window. And I was like, you know what? I can use this as an opportunity to be like a damsel in distress. Because even though that's not my nature, <laughs> I was like, right. that's probably the only way that I can get him, right? So yeah. I sent him a text because I always had his number. And I was like, hey, Todd, somebody broke into my car. Do you think you could give me a ride to class? And I'm like, I still could have drove my car. Right. I still, right, right. still could have driven my car, but I wanted to get in his car so, so I could be closer to him. And so he picked me up for class. Um, and when, on the way back home, 
he, we pulled up to my house and I said, um, Hey, I like, what did I say? I said, I want to, I want to get, I think you're a nice guy and I want to get to know you outside of class. And his little eyes got so big, like, who me? (laughs) And that very same day, we ended up going to the movies. Um, That was in November of 2009. And we, so we had our first date in November, went to the movies and we got married two months later in january really yeah yep so, so i gave all that back just to say, yeah hmm? so january 2010 is when you got yeah uh, january 2010 is when we oh. got married and we didn't we didn't have like a big elaborate wedding or anything we knew what we wanted um and we just got married one sunday after church we were like we're getting married he literally told his grandmother like the day before like i'm marrying her tomorrow and she was like what yeah. <laughs> so family and friends were they were like, what in the world? What's How are you guys on? getting married yeah. after two months? You don't even know each other, all this, you know, all this stuff. Um, but because we had that history of studying together, like before class and not dating and just, I guess, talking about our interest and who we were and, you know, like what we were working towards, even though we hadn't had a romantic relationship, it was more like wow I like this person as a person (laughs) you know what I mean and I know we match and it was just it was like a uh, I don't want to say like a business decision but it was like I already know yep this yeah like when we had our second date he told me like I love you and I want to marry you 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 know I've liked you for the past two years and of course I was thinking like well, you sure didn't give me any, any indication. Yeah. Like you wasn't flirting with me. You you talking about school work and talking about your goals. <laughs> right. Um, but but at any rate, yeah. So that that's kind of lo- a long story to get around to how we got how we got together and uh, got married. We just celebrated earlier this year in January, ten years of marriage. Mm-hmm. And so for all those who may have thought we were crazy, success. Uh, speaks louder than uh, than words, and so mm-hmm. we're we're happy. We're ten years in, looking 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 forward to sixty more years. Right. How many more years we have together, enjoying each yeah. other. And so yeah, I love it. But you know what? Like he said, though, you know, you guys have spent two years just getting to getting to know each other on a platonic level. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's that's to me, that's not strange because of the back history of it. You know, that's not strange at all. You know, I mean, we have so many different ways to connect with people now. Like, you're right, that's easy. That's easy. You guys did, did, did it the easy way without all the drama that can come about during dating and stuff. You know what I mean? That's right, crazy. right. I love it. I love it. So, how long was it before you guys found out that there was a, a, a an issue with fertility? Because I know you got you were finishing up your bachelor's mm-hmm. and your master's, and everything after that. So. Was it during any of your schooling time that you found out there was a fertility issue or was it after all that was complete? It, it was it was after all that. So mm-hmm. we got married January 2010. And when we got married, you know, prior to that, we we had, you know, candid conversations and we were like, do we want kids? He said, yeah, I want one. Uh, but he's a person that likes to have everything organized and perfect. Um, and he's like, well, yes, I want to have a kid, but I want to do this first. I want to buy our house. I want to graduate. I want to do this. And I'm like, look, you can have everything you want all together. Like <laughs> that's, that's how my mindset is. Mm-hmm. And so after we got married, we, we were what, 26, 
happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm thinking I'm almost 30. Mm-hmm. We need to be having a baby. And so he was like, no, you need to be on birth control and so on and so forth. And so as soon as we got married, I got on birth control at his request. And then I literally like within the first year, I was like, look, in, my, in the back of my mind, I'm going to stop taking this birth control. And he's just going to be cool. <laughs> like if I get pregnant, I get pregnant. And he already, look, he, he knows that I'm the one he's already, he's already locked it in. Where can he go? That's, that was, that was my mindset. And so I stopped taking the birth control and then you know, I didn't get pregnant for several months. And then I started taking it again because he, I, I ended up telling him that I stopped taking it. And he was like, well, no, we're not ready yet. And so then I started taking it again. And then I was thinking, okay, all this back and forth with stopping birth control and starting it. Usually they say people get pregnant, like, you know, like, like that. Right. Cause they missed the birth control. And so we were having these conversations and I wanted a child right then and there, but really he didn't. And okay. in retrospect, Um, I'm glad things played out the way that it did, because you definitely want to be on the same page as your, as your partner, you know, during, during a time like that, because you don't want to introduce unnecessary stress. And so at any rate, during that time, I, um, again, I I was trying and I guess he wasn't trying, even though he was trying with me Mm -hmm. unintentionally. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So, so yeah, that, that, so, so when did we actually find out? And so then over a period of time, and then finally, I just told him, I'm not, I'm not taking the birth control. And he was mm-hmm. like, all right. And so we, we agreed that if it happened, it happened. And so time went on uh, a few years and nothing happened. And okay. so then I got to, to wondering like, okay, like, why am I not pregnant yet? Yeah. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't completely sold out to the idea. He was okay that if it happened, it happened. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I had started to have like some pains on like my, my left side and my stomach kind of near my ovaries. And I was thinking okay. like, maybe something's going on. So I went to my doctor and I talked to my doctor about that and they did an ultrasound they said, well, you have a very large cyst, you know, on your ovaries. And since you're having some pain, we recommend surgery to get in there and remove it and to look at it, to make sure there's nothing serious going on. So I was like, that's fine. So went to have the surgery. They got in there to have, uh, to do the surgery. And when I woke up from the anesthesia, my doctor said, you know what? You did not have a cyst at all. The bulge that we saw on the ultrasound was actually um, your uh, fallopian tubes. They were both tucked behind your uterus and folded. And so it made it look like there was a large cyst there. And then she said something that completely changed my whole world. She said, but we were able to open your tubes and now we want you to get pregnant within the next six months. And at that point, it went from, oh, if it happens, it happens to I'm on a time clock. Like I need to get pregnant. Like I had no idea that my tubes were blocked that way, Uh, except that happened. I, I wouldn't have found out. And so um, they put me on Clomid and said, all right, you, you know, we want you to get pregnant within the next six months, because being that your tubes were blocked and folded that way, mm-hmm. it is a strong possibility that they will, you know, reblock again. And so you want to get pregnant before that happens. And so in my mind, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, we're about to get pregnant in the next six months because yeah, yeah. for me, I'm, 
I'm an optimist about everything. And, and I'm like, well, there's no reason if they were able to open my tubes, like this is it. This is my sign that, all right, go ahead and go for it. And so I got on the Clomid. We started doing that and, and having sex, of course, at the right time of the month. And then each time I took the Clomid and then didn't get pregnant, it was almost like it was different than just trying from if it happens, it happens to like, all right, I'm actually taking medication and something that's supposed to help me get pregnant. And now it's not happening. And it was like a letdown every month. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, I don't think I allow myself to let it be a letdown because even though in the back of my mind, I felt like there was an issue or something was wrong. If I told myself that if it happened, it happened, I didn't have to have my expectations up. Yeah. But the news of having my tubes unblocked and having six months until my tubes reblocked and taking this medication gave me a hope that, okay, I had answers that, okay, yes, there was a problem before the problems resolved. And I have this time, this window to get pregnant. And so I was against the clock and taking medications to ovulate and control my cycle to get pregnant. And then I wasn't getting pregnant with the assistance. And so each month that went by, it was almost like a dagger, like, oh, five months to go up, four months to go up three months, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, my tubes are going to reply. So I, I just had all that in my mind. And meanwhile, my husband was super chill about it. And I'm sitting here like, dude, do you realize like they said six months? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, and yeah. then there will be times just being candid that he would be like, I don't feel like it tonight. Uh, I want to play the video game or whatever. I was like, hey, the, the calendar <laughs> says this. You need to get off of that game and get on me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right now. Now. <laughs> and so then it became like a chore. Like, mm. look, mm -hmm. hump me. Come hump me. Like, <laughs> Girl, I know it. I know. <laughs> I know lingerie. It was like, all right, legs like this. Like, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, and so it took. It took all the intimacy. It became like yeah. a chore. It became like, all right, you, you missed your appointment. 205, you know, like it says I'm supposed to ovulate this time. And so at any rate, none of that, uh, the, the Clomid didn't work. Um, and we did that for six months straight. And then they said, okay, you know what? Keep keep taking the Clomid. And so we took, uh, took it for another few months. And so then after about a year went by, I said, um, all right, obviously my tubes probably maybe reblocked re or whatever. So let's, let's see. And so my doctor referred me to a fertility specialist. Mm -hmm. At this point, another, another year had passed. Yeah. Um, and so went to the fertility specialist and had the HSG redone okay. again. And so I got the HSG done and my two, both of my tubes had reblocked. And when he said that to me, he, his words, his lips said, your, your tubes are blocked and the only way for you to get pregnant now is via IVF. But what I heard in my ears was, you're never going to get pregnant because you don't have the money to do IVF right now. You know, mm -hmm. we were both fresh out of college. We did not have our career jobs yet. You know what I mean? And so uh, we were buying our first hat. We were in the process of doing all this all stuff. Those things, like, yeah, yeah. All these things. And I'm like, what, how, how is this going? So, so all those thoughts and I just start bawling. I started crying because I just, I, at that moment I had, I didn't have hope. I, I just heard 
you know, a, a limitation, an obstacle that was in my way, an insurmountable object that was between me and my, you know, dream of having this baby, which again, the, the maternal instinct kicked in for real, for real, like when I found out that my, that they were able to open my tube. So that it was like a, a huge letdown. Yeah. 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 And then you, you, it's almost like you feel, um, you know, like I did everything right or I thought I did everything right. Mm-hmm. And at the right times and, you know, we, we got married first, we went to college and a lot of people don't understand that, <clears throat> that analogy, but it's just about, you know, you having a plane in your head, like you said, and then when it doesn't happen the way that you thought it was going to, mm-hmm. and it comes with a bit of a struggle, that's really hard for people like yourself or I who have uh, really strong ambitions. That's yeah. really hard to accept that, what you mean I can't do this? I got a uterus. Right, exactly. I got these ovaries and I have all these eggs. What do you mean? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Well, especially when your husband doesn't have a diagnosis and his sperm is okay. And, yep. you know, and all those things. Like, what do you mean we can't do this? without the help of an RE. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, because they, yeah, and they ended up doing, you know, checking him and there was no issues. Yeah. Um, and then they, and then they checked, of course, my AMH, my FSH levels and all that. Everything was within range. And so for me, I'm like, everything is perfect except for these, the, the, the plumbing is messed up. <laughs> like there's, there's no route. There's no route to get there. And so that, that, that was when we first, you know, when we when we first like, I guess realized there was there was an issue, and that set us on a path. And it and the the next part of my journey, I guess, is what really had us both like all in, um, is because after that diagnosis uh, of the tubes being reblocked, I felt like we we my, my husband and I both felt like all right wow, we do need to do something now. We're getting a little older per societies, whatever. Whatever was in the back of my mind, I felt like I was running against the clock. Um, and over 30 now, you know, get closer to 35, you start yep. like freaking out. You know? Yep, yep. So, so at this time, I'm not even, was I 30 at this point? I was over, I guess I was a little over 30. Yeah, I was, maybe I was just 30 or 31, 32, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because... 2015 I'm tracing back all these in, in my mm-hmm. mind 2015 was when I think I had my surgery 20 yes yeah 2015 is when I had the surgery I don't know was it 2013 because yeah, you and I are about the same age yeah so you know what it was mm-hmm. 2013 when we when we had the surgery 2014 when I found out that my tubes were reblocked and then that yep okay I got my timeline together um and then between 2014 and 2015, I couldn't get the idea of wanting to be a mom out of my mind because, again, prior to that, my tubes had been opened and I knew that, you know, like my, I just wanted a child. Mm-hmm. And so we did whatever we could. Like, girl, I, I, I set up a GoFundMe. I sold clothes and shoes that I had in my closet. I, um, we started selling furniture. We bought it from an auction site. Um, and start selling it on uh, let go offer up in the marketplace mm-hmm. um we did all, all anything you can think of we were like just finding ways to bring in additional resources yeah. for IVF and we came up with the money 
in it within a year's time. Wow. Uh, I'm a firm believer that when you really want something, you find a way. Either yeah, find an excuse yeah. or find a way. That, that's just my mentality. I, I'm a very ambitious person. And yeah. I feel like I can do whatever I set my mind to. And so once I set my yeah. mind to that, I was like, it was all oh, over. Yeah. Oh, I'm making all you it can see. By, by any yeah. means necessary. And so we came up with the money. We did our first IVF cycle in 2015. Um, and it did not work. And, and when I tell you, there was not an ounce of doubt in my mind that it was going to work because I felt like we did all the stuff. We put all the stuff together. There's no reason. Everything was perfect except for the fact that my tubes are blocked. So there's no reason why we're not going to get pregnant. And so we did, we did the IVF. And, and at that cycle, we told all of our friends and family, of course, because they, many of them were involved because they contributed to, um, to our GoFundMe and even, yeah, my 32nd birthday, mm -hmm. uh, I asked all my friends and family for $32 to go towards my IVF. Like I wasn't playing. I was like, all right, let's, let's get this money. We, we let's mm -hmm. make it happen. Mm -hmm. So they were all involved. So we kept everybody in the loop with our journey. Yeah. And yeah. We, when we had our transfer, we told everybody like we had our transfer, guess what? We're pregnant. Um, and all we need is the confirmation from this test. And when we got the results back from the blood test and it was negative, I was just like, what, what, what? And, and, and we only had one more embryo left from that. Um, and so I'm like, all right. And, and I'm, I'm a person that always goes for the underdog, right? Like, so I always feel like, you know what? Things always seem to work out when the odds are stacked against you. So I was like, there's one more embryo left, mm -hmm. little embryo that could, there is absolutely no reason why this next cycle will not work with our last embryo. And this was the end of 2015. We transferred in, I think, August or September of 2015. Mm -hmm. We got the negative at the end of September or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then we tried again, either October, probably, I think we started our cycle in November because just before Christmas is when we got of 2015 is when we got our, our negative from the one embryo that was left. Okay. Okay. Um, we were completely devastated at that point. Cause it's like, we did all that. And then it was the second time around we use like credit cards. We still were selling stuff. We still were trying to just make ways. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we felt like the last embryo, wait a minute. Now we're back to square one again. Yeah, yeah. No money. Yeah. No embryo. No baby. No tubes. No not like like I was just I was and it was right before Christmas and I had planned like you know what we're gonna get our positive pregnancy test and we're gonna announce it to everybody on Christmas because nobody knows we're doing this. Right. And so it was like that's gonna be our gift, you know. And it everything just it just the, everything changed when we got that second. Um, negative test from a from a transfer and so after that point I was like I don't know what I don't know what we're going to do now yeah. and I was sad I was down but again for me having a plan I think motivates me and pushes me Every, everybody's driven by different things exactly so, so okay. my my journey and my mindset may not be the same as everybody else's but each person must do what's best for them and for me having a plan and something to look forward to um, helps me to pull myself out of any negative slumps that I'm in. If I can just look forward and see a solution, then I'm not as focused on the problem. 
And so what I said to myself was like, all right, we don't have the money right now, but we are going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And we are, you know, we're just going to be positive. Um, and so after that, um, we started just, you know, researching, thinking about how, how we were going to be able to do IVF again. Yeah. And yeah. in the midst of that, um, there were days, of course, that I was sad, days where I was down, days where I felt like, are we, am I going to get to be a mom? And uh, I kept thinking to myself, doesn't matter that I had these two failed cycles and all these failed clomid cycles and my, you know, all this stuff. I still want to be a mom. I still want a child. And what can I do if I can't shake that feeling? Like, what am I going to do? Yeah. And yeah. so um, we actually bought a crib because we were, remember, we were selling furniture and stuff from the auction site. And I found right. a convertible crib that was a crib, a changing table, and it transferred into a toddler bed. And it's like a $300 or $400 crib for $30. So wow. I, love, I love getting a good deal. So at any rate, <laughs> um, $30 for the, and so I was like, you know what? I'm buying it. Cause we're going to have a child. And so I bought it. Um, and I was like, I'm not selling it. We're going to keep it. And then, uh, one particular day where we were kind of down or whatever, someone from my job had given me a uh, rocking chair because mm. I told her my story and she was like, you know what? She actually told me she did IVF for her daughter too. And so she gave me a rocking chair. She gave me the rocking chair. We put it in the house. And so I told my husband, I said, let's put the crib together in faith. And just believe that one day there's going to be a baby in this, in this room. And so we put the crib together, we set it up in the room. We had the rocking chair on the other side of the room. And, and, and that was my place that I would go to and just think, imagine, and dream about the day I would have a child. And that, and, and thinking about that just really did something for my mind. Instead of focusing on why things were, couldn't go right, I started thinking about, what would happen if they did go right? What would happen if I did have a child? At least I had a, you know, so like it, my hope just began to, to spark even more. And so we put that, that crib together and um, lo and behold, uh, 2016, yeah, six, 2016, um, August 1st, which is my dad's birthday. Oh. I was literally at home and, um, I was doing some homework at the time I was working on uh, my master's degree because I had gotten back in school and I was, I was just like, you know what, just because we don't have a child yet, I'm still going to work on the fit. And what I was thinking, the reason why I was getting a master's degree is because I felt like, well, one day I'm going to have a child and maybe what I'm going to want to do is be like an adjunct professor or something and work okay. my own hours when I have the child. Cause I was always planning like for, for when I have a child or whatever. Yeah. In the event that I don't want to work like a full-time job, I was just thinking of what I may be able to do. To be flexible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking of that and um, I was sitting at home doing some homework and I literally had a thought like, go to the dollar store and get a pregnancy test. And I was thinking, mm. why would I have a thought to go get a pregnancy <laughs> test and not right. even get pregnant without the assistance of a doctor? Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like I felt it strongly, like get up and, and I was like, am I really hearing that? So I literally got up in the middle of doing my work, drove to the store, got a pregnancy test and peed on the stick and immediately two lines popped up. Wow. And I was like, <gasps> I mean, when I tell you the excitement wow. was like through the roof. And, and so for me, 
uh, especially being a person of faith, I was like, this is my miracle. Like I got my miracle. Like I didn't even need a doctor. Like, so you know what I did, right? I told my mom, I told, Mm -hmm. I told everybody. And so she told, Mm -hmm. she told everybody, we're like, guess what? I ended up getting pregnant naturally after all the stuff I told my whole tribe, everybody who had been there supporting me. Um, and, and at the time, my sister-in-law had also recently found out that she was pregnant and I called her, I was like, we are about to be pregnant together. Like this is like, we were just thrilled. And so I called my doctor and, um, scheduled an appointment. I was like, guess what? I got pregnant naturally. Um, so they scheduled an appointment with me. My sister-in-law had her appointment. She went and had her ultrasound and, um, heartbeat and everything was fine for the baby. A week later, I went for my appointment. Mm -hmm. And when I went for my appointment, um, the doctor was like looking around with the little probe or whatever, and finally located the baby with the heartbeat. However, she said, the baby is in your tubes. So, um, Mm. this is not viable. Uh, and you need to have surgery tomorrow. Cause at this point I was like seven and a half weeks. And she was like, how in the world are you not in pain? How in the world do you not know that you were pregnant? You didn't feel anything. Um, so glad you came here. We need to, you know, we need to, and I was, and, and I was, I was crying. I was devastated. Mm. And I looked over at my husband and, and this was, this was the first time that I seen him show emotion about the journey. Mm. Started crying because, and that let me know that he was excited about having this baby and his, his, his world was shattered as well. And his dreams were kind of ripped, you know, cause he was anticipating having the child. And, uh, I just was like, you can't move the baby like from my tubes. To my, I, mean, I, I, I think could, about topics in that way, the same way, like, oh my gosh, if there was only a way to save the fetus, you know? Yeah. I mean, I just was, I, I was dumbfounded and they were like, no, that's not how it works. The baby, you know, attaches to your uterus, wherever it attaches to, that's where it's getting its nutrients and growing. Yeah. And I think logically I knew that that couldn't happen, but because I was in shock, and because I'm a solutions person, I was trying to figure out like, look, what else can we do here? This is a good baby, a good, healthy baby with a heartbeat just in the wrong place, you know? And so that very next day I ended up having surgery and I told them that I had to make the decision. Do I want to just take the, the baby out of the, the tube that was there, remove that one tube or remove both? And I made the decision to just remove both of my tubes. And the reason why is because when they opened my tubes, both of my tubes originally were stuck to my uterus and tucked. And so the chances of me having another ectopic was going to be very, very high. Yeah. And so I said, if I'm going to use IVF anyway, and this tube is already blocked, just take them both out. And that way I have a, I feel like I have a better chance. And I had read, I had been researching all along that it's possible that when your tubes are scarred like that, you can have, um, what is it? It's like fluid in your tubes, yeah. which actually can yeah. prevent the, the embryo from implanting on the uterus because the the embryo gets there and then the, the fluid is toxic and washes the embryo away. And so I was wondering, maybe that's what happened to me. And maybe my, my tubes are so toxic that get them out of there and maybe I'll get pregnant the next time. Yeah. So um, that's what we, we, we uh, had the tubes removed. And then um, the very next day for my surgery, again, I'm solutions oriented. I said, what can I do? What at this point now, 
I have to be a mom. Like I've tasted the idea of being, of, 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 not the idea, the realization of actually being pregnant and um, having that hope. And it was like each time there was little nuggets that pushed me to to want to have a child even more. And so this definitely was one of those. Um, and so after after having that situation happen, I had to come up with a plan. And I remember that I had talked to someone uh, in one of my infertility groups that I was in who worked at Starbucks uh, part-time to cover their IVF. And so I went ahead and the very next day after my surgery, applied for um, Starbucks to work there. Uh, I applied for applied at Star, Starbucks and um, got the job there and used their benefits to cover to cover my third transfer and do another full round of IVF. And in that cycle, I was again, I was in school still working on my master's degree. Mm-hmm. I was um, very active. Uh, and, and ministry at church with the things that I volunteered uh, in church, outside of church, you know, serving on a board. I was, you know, working a full-time job um, w- that required me to, you know, be on call and work more than, you know, 40 hours a week. And in addition to that, I took on the job at Starbucks to tack on 20 hours a week to average so that I can get, um, so I can be eligible for, um, for those benefits. And my husband's schedule at the time wouldn't allow him to do it because he worked a, a, like a carryover shift from like 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. So I had more flexibility to do it. And so I was like, yep, I'll, I'll, I'll work the, the part time. And so I was barely getting sleep in those days. But the only thing that kept me going is like, I still want to be a mom and I'm going to figure it out. So I was eligible for those benefits at the beginning of uh, 2017. And we did our transfer. Um, your transfer got pregnant and in July, um, I ended up losing the baby in the second trimester. And that, that loss was, it was more devastating probably than anything I had been through during the entire journey, primarily because at that point I felt like I had done everything that I could. I mean, I felt like I changed my diet. I was taking supplements that I read about. I wore warm socks for my transfer. I did, mm-hmm. you know, eating the McDonald's fries. I, you know, like drink something warm. I, um, you know, you know, all the things, ate the pineapple, cool, all the myths that I was reading, right. Like that just psychologically make you feel better. Right. I was doing right. All that stuff. Uh, and maybe the supplements are probably the thing that may really work or whatever but so I was taking all the stuff and then on top of that somehow I was working my full-time job maintaining all my responsibilities trying to you know still be there for my husband try you know uh doing my school work you know working my job doing my volunteering um staying up late doing homework working at Starbucks being on call at my regular career job and just juggling all that with little to no sleep and I felt like I put in all those hours and and then I lose the baby and I don't not only lose the baby but I lose the baby in the second trimester after seeing after getting past that initial appointment where I could hear the heartbeat and I felt like everything's going to be okay after getting past 
the first trimester where they say your chances of miscarriage are higher. So getting to the second trimester, I was starting to feel safe. I was right, starting to right. feel like I could finally let my hair down. I was starting to feel like, all right, it's my turn, right? And so then to lose the baby at that point, it was like a punch to the gut. I mean, it literally took the wind out of me. And I was like, I said to myself, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I'm sure mm -hmm. our listeners have been probably there. have felt yeah. that way. Like mm -hmm. I literally said, I just don't know. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I have it in me. I don't know. Like, and, and I was just, I, I went back to, I don't know if anybody had a situation that happened that takes you back to childhood where I went all the way back to childhood. I'm like, nothing has ever been easy for me. I've always had to fight for everything that I get. Like I was just angry. I was, I, I was like, I was not in a good place. And I was like, what, what do I do? What do I do from here? And I said, what, do, what do you do when the thing that you want seems out of your reach, what do you do when you feel like you tried everything you can and you still don't get the results? What do you do when you still want the thing that life is telling you you can't have? And I didn't have those answers. I didn't have those answers. And all I could do, and I, honestly, I didn't even want to pray at that moment. I was like, I don't want to pray. I don't want to, like, I ain't trying to hear all that. Like, there's purpose Not in this. Like, pe people try to say the cliche the things. The silver linings, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, no, no, no. There, there's nothing. <laughs> no, nothing you can say right now. Let me process this. Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. I didn't want to hear any of that. All I wanted to hear uh, is, like, you're pregnant. <laughs> and yeah. you're going to make it. You know what I mean? You're, yeah. you know, that, that's what I wanted to hear. And so I had to process through all that. And so I made a decision to uh, speak to a counselor. So my job has an EAP program, like an employee assistance program. And this was the very first time that I proactively um, tried to talk to somebody because I just mentally was not in a good place. I mean, my husband and I went to um, furniture store and I saw a pregnant woman walking by and she was probably about eight or nine months pregnant. And I just started Take crying. Like, I can't even look yeah. at her. I can't. And, and I'm not even an emotional person. I don't even, I don't usually get those type of feelings. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at that moment, what when I saw that woman, I saw that that should be me. That's what I was thinking. Like, I should be still pregnant right now. I should have my baby. And, and, and it was just, it brought back those feelings. And I was like, I need to talk to somebody because this is not like me. So yeah. I had a few meetings with, with, with the um, counselor and it helped me level set. But in the midst of all that, I had been journaling mm -hmm. and writing. Um, and I was thinking to myself, like, do I want to get a surrogate? Do I want to adopt? Do I want to mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. do like, is it my embryo? Like what, what is it? And, I, and, and so my husband and I talked, I'm like, what options are we open to? And, and at that, at that point, what I thought about is what is my definition of being a mom? Right? Like, so all this time I had been saying, I want to be a mom, but what does that mean to me? Right. Right. And so I defined it as being able to nurture and raise a child period. It wasn't like, Oh, it has to be my biological. And when I settled on that, I said, you know what? I'm going to try one more time. Mm -hmm. uh, and if, if I don't get pregnant and I don't have the child or if something happens, then we can explore other options because for me, I'm open to other methods of being a mother per my definition. So mm -hmm. side note for any of the listeners, 
at, at any point during the journey, I believe that each person has to do what's best for them emotionally and mentally. Mm-hmm, so we mm-hmm. have to say, you know what, right now I need a break. I think it's perfectly fine to take a break from trying. Mm-hmm. If you have to decide that, you know what, I'm just going to stop altogether and maybe accept the fact that I'm going to be child free. That is a legitimate choice as well. Right. Like, so it's not, it's not like one person is right and one is not, and you're giving up and Mm -hmm. no, it's a personal choice. And so for me, I felt like if, if I, if I, if, if I define being a mother as nurturing a child, then I could have multiple methods of being a mom, right? And so I would encourage everybody on the infertility journey, define what being a mom means to you, right? Like, what does it mean to be a parent? And so that right there will determine what your limitations are in this journey, because the reality is everybody may not be able to have a child, you know, naturally like because of very I know people that have you know disorders where they have been told they can never carry a child of their own and they don't have any eggs I know a lady who 24 25 was was diagnosed with diminished ovarian reserve and she had to make a decision to either use donor eggs or adopt or whatever so so there's people with various situations and I want to take that into consideration and that's why I say I believe you should define what it means to be a mom to you so you know how far you're willing to go. So at any rate, because of my definition, I was open to other options, right? And so Mm -hmm. um, we found a way to to try again. um, And I'm glad that I did because that fourth transfer, um, we had my son. So I got pregnant and each appointment, I was still nervous. But during that time, what I did to keep myself going is I took some of the journals that I had written along the way mm-hmm. and I began to write. And I thought, what do I wish I would have had during this journey? What has kept me going? What, what motivated me? What helped me to keep the, mind, the right mindset? What helped me to keep positive? What helped me to still maintain a smile on my face? What helped me to be able to still be able to be happy for others, right? Because mm-hmm. remember I told you, my sister-in-law, was pregnant at the same time I had my ectopic and she was actually afraid to share her updates. Her joy, yeah. I told her, I said, listen, Mm -hmm. what happened to me doesn't detract from your blessing, right? Like, I didn't want to be selfish. And to me, I felt like it would be selfish for me to diminish her blessing because of what I was going through. Now I understand being able to pull back. You have to do what's best for you, but that was my, that's my niece. So should I just Mm -hmm. pull back? Like, and the Mm -hmm. only way that I could have pulled back is if I believed that I never was going to have a child or it was never going to happen for me. Right. So because I felt like my turn is coming, it's like this moment of my niece being born and all this stuff is only going to happen once. So, Yeah. yeah. So should I rob myself of that experience because of my situation? You know what I mean? I mean, but you would be validated. But I think it takes a lot of uh, mature. I don't want to say maturity because there's a lot of people who struggle with that right now. So I would say it takes a lot of uh, healing. Healing is the right word. And that's Mm -hmm. why I said I had to, you know, for me, I'm very self-aware and introspective. I I Mm -hmm. reflect a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so writing 
helping the process through thoughts helps me. And even in my decision to continue, like I look far out into the future and say, how am I going to feel about this later? Right? Like, how am I going to feel about this when I'm 80? My decision today, am I going to be satisfied with that? And making decisions like that, I think takes you out of the now and allows, allows you to have some inner peace. And, and one of the things, again, I went to see a counselor, I was writing, I was doing all those, like processing through those emotions and learning to be emotionally healthy. Uh, it is not emotionally healthy, in my opinion, to for, ev- for, for different events to throw you off of being happy. You know what I mean? Because you can't yeah. enjoy your life. That's a sign um, that, 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 that a uh, third person is needed. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, I mean, yeah. third person, you know, besides yourself, your spouse, you know, and so yeah. Like yeah. counselor somebody or doing some or support group to help you cycle through that. Um, and so um, I was able to, to, to look ahead. I'm glad that I was because it gave me the strength to try one more time, mm-hmm. um, try it again. And again, like I said, uh, fourth transfer had had my got pregnant, had my son. He's actually turning two on tomorrow. Uh, and I am just so thrilled that, that I have a, you know, that I have a child, you know what I mean? And so, um, one of the things that helped me get through that, like I said, is, um, my writing, uh, writing in my journal, writing about how I was able to, to get through like different prayers that I was able to say, uh, different, uh, perspectives that I was able to take on various situations to help me rationalize like there were thoughts there were times where I would think like well why are, there's people who don't even have children who, who don't even want children rather and have them and they're upset about being pregnant and here I am waiting to have a child so I addressed thoughts and ideas like that um in my writing like how I was able to, to, to get through all that and then compiled it all in my first trimester of being pregnant with my son and wrote my book in, in hopes of helping other, you know, other women struggling with infertility and loss as well. For, for your book, I saw when I was looking at the, um, the preview of it on Amazon, it's more like a devotional style. It was written more devotional style where you have prompts and things for people to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there it's, it's written the way that I wrote it is in my mind to take somebody from wherever they are in their journey to hopefully getting pregnant and having a baby. So in the first chapter, um, I list like, like, for example, locating where you are on the journey. What is your reason for infertility? Mm -hmm. What, what, what stage are you at? What questions have you asked the doctor? I give examples just from my, my journey, along with being a part of different support groups of other Mm -hmm. stories that I heard of things that people um, ask their doctor and things that they tried in order to get pregnant to share those insights because those are things that I needed while I was in my journey and it actually helped me to right. navigate and, and ask for things like hey well I want to try this and I want I wouldn't have known about it without having a support group so the first chapter again is like dedicated to locating where you are on the journey defining what it means to be a mom to you uh, what questions do you need to ask the doctor um, then I go on to talk you know share my journey and where I'm at. And then I talk about, okay, what do you do when things don't go as planned, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you handle that? 
um, and I talk about the mindset. And after each chapter, there is uh, journaling questions for you to be reflective, right? So it's, it's taking you. And then um, the next the next section. So actually, there's three sections to the book: the planning, the uh, pursuing, and then um, the preparing. Actually, planning, preparing, pursuing in that order. Um, and so in the planning phase, it's all about planning. What do you do when things don't go as planned? What do you say to the doctor, all that? In the preparing phase, it talks about preparing your mind, right? Like how to have the right mindset because when you are going through this journey, it is, I don't want to say it's like the Olympics, but the Olympic trainers, right? They, the people that are training for the Olympics, they have work to, they have to have a mindset. If you're running a marathon or you're doing something like that, you need the fortitude in your mind to keep pressing forward. So I share, how did I keep the right mindset? Um, and that is the section where I have like, different devotionals that I had and things like that, different scriptures that I read or different prayers that I said had. Um, also preparing your body, like supplements that I took, you know, things that I did for my health in order to try to get my body in prime shape. Um, and then I talk about the perspective, preparing your perspective, like sharing success stories from other women. And I talk about how, like, I, I list several things, like, what do you do when this thought comes up? you know, what, what counteracting thought can you bring in that place? Like, for example, if in your mind, you're thinking, yeah, I literally had somebody come to me um, while I was in the journey and tell me that, you know, they were having an abortion. You know what I mean? How do you deal with somebody who wants to take the life of the baby that's in their belly and all you want is a baby in your belly, right? Like, and so focusing on, you know, how, how to, Focus your attention and your mind on, on different things so that everything that happens doesn't take you out of your happy and peaceful place. Um, so I share that in the preparing phase. And then the last is the pursuing. Um, and the first chapter of, of that section is don't forget that he will be a dad. Um, and this is where I interviewed my husband and asked him how he felt along the journey, because many times as women, we can be so consumed in our own feelings and what we have went through that physically and emotionally that we forget that the, the, the male has feelings in this too. And so uh, talking to my husband and asking him questions really um, alerted me to the fact that he felt things too, you know, he felt inadequate that he couldn't help, you know what I mean? He felt like, uh, in fact, he actually opened up and told me that the reason in the beginning that, um, he was apprehensive about, you know, doing medications and trying is because he was nervous about whether or not he was going to be a good dad or not, right? Like, so they, men, the men have feelings, you know what I mean? And so we, through the whole process, we, we had an opportunity to get to know each other a little bit better and um, to be able to just navigate the, the journey together. And so um, a, alongside that in the pursuing phase, I have like mantras that I used to say and that I wrote to myself to train my mind and say the things that I wanted to say. And so um, also how to push through, you know, going to all of the appointments and planning your finances around this, all, all that stuff. I tried to cover everything I can think of for the journey. So it's not just like a devotional. There's sections where there's devotional when I'm, where I'm talking about the mind and the perspective and what I did, but it, it literally, is a guide and then at the end um the, the last chapter is actually like um i have a mantra in there 
for what to do once you're pregnant. Because just because you get pregnant, it doesn't take away the thoughts and the fears and anxiety. Now you have a whole new set of fears. And so how to even have that strong mindset when you're pregnant to get, get through it. And so, um, and again, at, at the end of each chapter, there are reflection questions and, and journaling questions because this is such an emotional journey. It's like a roller coaster and it's vital, I think, that we train our minds and our perspective in order to get through it so that we don't allow, who knows how long the journey is going to take for each person, right? It took me eight years. And so should, should I, you know, miss out on eight years of my life and be miserable because I don't have a child or can I appreciate what I have and learn to be grateful and thankful and enjoy each day? I prefer the latter because I don't, you know, I, I don't want to take, you know, take my husband out. Like there were times where I was just completely mean and rude to him because of how I felt. But when I realized that I was able to redirect. And so I wanted to help again in any other woman going through a similar situation to, you know, have that mental and emotional fortitude to no matter how they decided in their journey to just be healthy, whole and informed. Yeah, you, you made two really good points along with many others. And one of them first being that you're training your mind to look at things from a different way. And that is a skill. And that is what therapists help you to achieve. And that's what coaches help you to achieve. And like Shara said, you know, for her and myself, people like us, we did it on our own for, you know, a, a good part of the journey. But it is a skill to, mm-hmm. to retrain your mind because, you know, we get set in our ways and- yeah we become acclimated to doing things a certain way and dealing with them a certain way. So it is a skill and it is, it, it takes a lot of discipline to mm-hmm. ret- retrain your mind to think in a, in a different way and to really get it deep down in your subconscious. So that that's a really good point you made about really just training your mind. And then also about the spouse, specifically if you're in a heterosexual relationship um, and not forgetting about them. Mm-hmm not forgetting I, I'm, I really like that you um, uh, acknowledge that in your book and um, and so we just encourage you guys to you know it can be really selfish when you have the diagnosis and mm-hmm. it makes you really selfish but just um, I guess the word I'm looking for is to become more intuitively aware of your spouse too um, yeah. and that can be done you know no matter what kind of relationship heterosexual or same sex it's just getting outside of yourself and filing healing together, really, to be honest. That's, I think that's really important. Um, and one, one thing I just want to say, I know we're probably getting ready to wrap up, but one of the reasons I think is so critical is because your spouse is, you know, your, your partner, or your, your, whoever you're with, right? They're, they're going through, they're going through a, a tough time as well. And if you don't consider them and God forbid something happens to them, you will feel bad. And I, I say that because in my book, in the dedication, I dedicated um, part of the book to a friend of mine named Crystal. And she actually had won a book publishing package and gave me, I, have, I don't even know if I've shared this like on a podcast or anything, but it, it just came to me to share. So I will. She wanted a publishing package and gave me the publishing package um, and it encouraged me to publish the book. Well, just last year and she was 40 years old passed away from a heart condition and you know her husband got up and she was having some heart issues and passed away um and 
I think I, I'm grateful to her for, you know, giving me the publishing package. If it wasn't for her, my book probably wouldn't be published, right? But thinking about her relationship, he had no idea that his wife at 40 was going to lose her life. And I, I hate to get like that, but I, I feel like to me, when I think about stuff like that, I think like you don't want something to happen to your spouse and you have not considered their feelings or something to happen to your partner, your whoever, whoever you're with and you haven't thought about them. And then you can't go back and take that stuff back. You know what I mean? You can't go back and change anything. And so it is critical. Like just the, the mindset is, 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 is vital. The my, like being able to force yourself to, to think of uh, better thoughts so that you can enjoy your life and that you can enjoy the life with those around you. Excellent. 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 Thank you so much, Char. Give us your social media handles and uh, your website information as well. I, I did it earlier, but I want uh, to reiterate it again so that they don't forget. And then I'll have it in the show notes too for people to tap and go. Yes. So um, I still want, I, I still want to be a mom on um, Instagram and on Facebook. Um, in addition to that, my, my personal page that's not necessarily infertility related is um, what is my, I think I changed my handle so you can find it from infertility. I think it's Shara's Motifors, which is my, um, my YouTube channel, but I don't remember off <laughs> offhand. So just leave that. My website is I still want to be a mom.club. Um, I still want to be a mom.club. You can find me at, at I still want to be a mom on Instagram and or Facebook. Thank you guys for tuning in to infertility and me podcast. Peace and blessings.